Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Good morning. This Friday, July 22nd, coming to you from our nation's capital, the Bill Press Pod, with this week's roundtable. Early in the morning after the final hearing of the January 6th committee for this summer. And what a blockbuster hearing it was. In its first primetime hearing, the committee showed never-before-seen video of violence at the Capitol. Last night, the committee gave us never-before glimpses into just what Donald Trump was doing during those 187 minutes while violence was raging at the Capitol. Answer? As testified to under oath by Trump White House staffers, he spent the time in his private dining room watching television, deliberately doing nothing to stop the violence. Why? Because he didn't want the violence to stop, they said. He liked what they were doing. His only regret was that Mike Pence let him down. It's been a powerful set of eight hearings over the last couple of months. The big question is, will they have any impact at all? For insights on that question and other news of the week, we turn to today's panel. David Jackson leading off, national political correspondent for USA Today. Hello, David. Hey, Bill. How you doing? Linda Feldman, Washington Bureau Chief and White House correspondent for the Christian Science Monitor. Hi, Linda. Hi. Thank you. Welcome back. And John Bennett, editor-in-large at CQ Roll Call. Hello, John. Good morning, Bill. Okay, let's jump right in. Whatever your politics, whatever you think about the outcome of the election, we as Americans must all agree on this. Donald Trump's conduct on January 6th was a supreme violation of his oath of office and a complete dereliction of his duty to our nation. It is a stain on our history. It is a dishonor to all those who have sacrificed and died in service of our democracy. Congressman Adam Kinzinger not holding back in his closing statement last night. David Jackson, uh, I'd like to ask each of you, actually. David, you start us off. Overall, your impression of last night's hearing, did they deliver the message? Uh, Repeatedly, in my view. I mean, it was a at the start of the hearing, the committee said they were going to give us a minute-by-minute explanation of, of Trump's inactivity during the riot. And I, at one point, I was worried that the, the hearing was going to go a full 187 minutes, <laughs> three hours. But they spent two and a half hours basically repeating the same things. But they did make a compelling case about the fact that not only did Trump not do anything while his supporters were swamping the Capitol looking for his vice president, he, he actually enjoyed what he was watching. And I think it's, I think some of those images are going to stick moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linda, they set out to say, we're going to show you that Donald Trump, uh, the phrase they used, deliberate dereliction of duty. Uh, How'd they do? 
they completely made that case. 187 minutes of Donald Trump sitting in his dining room watching Fox News, not calling on his protesters to stop. But I, I was kind of disappointed, actually. I uh, well, maybe they didn't they didn't promise this, but I'm still waiting for more. I want to hear. I want to hear, and and this is going to come in season two, right? They, there are more hearings to come. Uh, was Donald Trump really complicit with uh, the the organizers, those gathered gathered at the Willard Hotel uh, mm-hmm. to organize this? Is is there a case for seditious conspiracy, or is this D- Donald Trump just engaging in uh, a lack of activity, a lack of calling on his people to stop? Right. Uh, and John, I think, again, they repeated this point. He wasn't just doing nothing. He was deliberately made a deliberate choice not to do anything to stop the violence. Again, how do you think they delivered last night? I, I think they delivered. Um, and let me borrow a phrase bigly from Donald Trump. <laughs> and, and, you know, he was in action is very much an action. Any of us who have done any kind of management, especially in our business, uh, if a reporter is being difficult and and they just refuse to finish a story or make a phone call, well, that affects that that sets off dominoes, and it's the same way with any job, and it's the same thing with Trump. By not doing something, he very much did something. He allowed uh, the rioters uh, to breach the Capitol doors, to go inside, to ransack the building, to chant "Hang Mike Pence." Everything that happened, you know, they were hanging on his every word. They've shown that in the last two hearings, but and really more, but but really the especially the last two hearings, how the rioters were taking cues from Trump, the tweets he sent out on January sixth in the afternoon, the tweets were always a code, and they were parsing the code. And we heard one rioter or or one one of the people uh, on a radio channel say, "Well, he didn't say we couldn't do anything to the congressman." So his inactions and his tweets. You know, he did he did a lot that day to to encourage the writers. Uh, I want to ask each of you about some of the highlights uh, that we saw, the highlights that at least uh, uh, that I took note of last night. Uh, maybe the number one, which we had never heard before, was the, the um, audio of the radio traffic among Secret Service agents who were trying to find out how safe it was to get the vice president out of the Capitol, or at least they thought out of the Capitol, at least to a more secure spot than his private office off the Senate chamber. Um, here, uh, here's a little bit of, of that exchange uh, where they were, as the committee pointed out, and some of the uh, actually uh, sound pointed out, the Secret Service agents fearing for their lives and calling members of their family to say goodbye. Here's a little exchange. If we're moving, we need to move now. Copy. If we lose uh, any more time, we may have we may lose the ability to, to leave. So if we're going to leave, we need to do it now. They've gained access to the second floor, and I've got public about five feet from me down here below. Okay, copy. Will we encounter the people once we make our way? Yeah, but I'm going down to evaluate. Go ahead. We have a clear spot if we move quickly. However, we will bypass some protesters that are being contained. There is smoke, unknown what kind of smoke it is. Copy Clear, we're coming out now, all right? Make a way. Yeah, David, still chilling to hear that video. Um, yes, very much so. Um, 
but I think a lot of it was due to the fact that they, they were really uncertain as, as to how many protesters there were and were they armed. I, I think the concern and the fear was, uh, was related to that because they just didn't know what was going on because, uh, this this whole Pence Secret Service story has always uh, confused me because you know those guys were armed and they were heavily armed because they knew they they had expressed concern about some of the threats that were being made before January sixth. So in in my view, Pence or his agents weren't really in any danger because, like I said, mm-hmm. they were armed. If they had to, they they could have used deadly force on the protesters. But I don't at that time that that recording was made, they didn't know that, and I think right. that's what uh, you know that's what engendered the concern. Uh, Linda was also significant, right? Because um, uh, one call that Donald Trump, one of many calls that Donald Trump did not make <laughs> during the 170 minutes, uh, 87 minutes, was to Mike Pence to say, <laughs> Mike, how you doing? No, the, yeah, no, completely insane. I mean, this that was the moment that the relationship broke. It was never a good relationship, I would say. But now we see it, it playing out fully. And, you know, the fact that, that Mike Pence, that his, that his team, his security team was saying goodbye to their families. I mean, that's just, that, to me, that was the highlight of the whole, the whole hearing last night. Uh, and, uh, yes, they, the Secret Service are fully armed, but you, they didn't know what they were up against. I mean, we're, walking, we're watching this in hindsight. We know what, we know what happened. But in real time, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if these guys are how armed these guys are, uh, and and now of course we're seeing Pence and Trump in complete opposition to each other, backing different candidates. Uh, Pence gearing up to run for president himself. So it's uh, you know knowing what we now know, it's it's especially uh, meaningful. And John, I I was struck by because I always had this impression of the secret service man if there's anybody they're in charge i mean they know what's going on right they are so tight right and so much in control uh this showed a different picture pretty scary it sure did and to both david and and linda's points um they didn't know what they were up against sure you know they have high-powered uh weapons i'm sure they had higher-powered weapons in, in the vehicles, which were parked somewhere on the on the Capitol grounds or under the Capitol grounds. But, you know, a lot of those guys have at least some military experience, maybe some CIA experience. You know, I suspect they were worried about suicide vests or, or something like that coming mm. into the building. And, you know, these supporters were there and they're still so rabid about Trump and and everything he says is gospel. And, and he when he said country, they heard Trump. So, you know, I could see how the Secret Service guys were. And gals were, were concerned that, you know, maybe one of these folks might blow themselves up and, and take the vice president with them. Yeah. Uh, a second highlight for me um, was, uh, I guess, maybe because I spent so much time doing television and doing stand-ups and having to do uh, second takes, the outtake uh, video from Donald Trump on January 7. Here he is. Now, this is 24 hours after the attack on the Capitol, two months after the election, and they give him a script late in the day of January 7 when he finally agrees to make a statement, uh, but he can't quite bring himself to say the words, here's the former president. Okay, I'll, I'll do this. I'm going to do this. Let's go. But this election is now over. 
Congress has certified the results. I don't want to say the elections are over. I just want to say Congress has certified the results without saying the elections are over. Okay. David, he can't <laughs> say the words. He still can't say it. He still doesn't oh, well, claim the election's yeah. not over. He was on the phone with a guy from or a legislator from Wisconsin just the other week, trying to get him to you know decertify the election. So it's I, a couple things on that bill. I was just I'm just astonished that uh, they filmed those outtakes. Oh yeah, people, um, but um, that was the real Donald Trump right there. He didn't want to say anything that day. He really had to be taught as as was as was gleaned from the hearing last night, he had to be pressured into making that little statement that he did make. So yeah, it was, it was fascinating to see. I mean, that's the real Donald, Donald Trump and people are going to have to take it or leave it. By the way, someone else reminded me that there is a history of these outtakes, that there's some hilarious, there's a hilarious outtake of Richard Nixon right before his resignation speech bantering with, uh, with the press. So it's kind of an interesting history of uh, presidents caught off guard. Uh, I must say, on a personal note, I'm embarrassed that I don't remember the name of this. There was a great film in the 80s, late 80s, maybe, all about all of outtakes of politicians, uh, including Jerry Brown and um, Bob Carey and Pat Buchanan. And I am in that movie uh, <laughs> oh, as, as a reporter uh, going after Pat Buchanan up at uh, outside of a diner in New Hampshire. Uh, but it was all outtakes. That's the whole the whole we'll movie. Have to dig so, that up. <laughs> uh, you have to dig that up. And uh, I think this uh, Donald Trump, they'll do a retake, remake, and Donald Trump will be part of it. Let me jump to another highlight, uh, Linda. Um, 2.24 p.m., Donald Trump finally uh, does something from the dining room on January 6th. He sends out a tweet calling Mike Pence a coward which drew this reaction from uh, Sarah Matthews. So it was obvious that the situation at the Capitol was violent and escalating quickly. And so I thought that the tweet about the vice president was the last thing that was needed in that moment. And I, I remember thinking that um, this was going to be bad for him to tweet this because it was essentially him giving the green light to these uh, people telling them that what they were doing at the steps of the Capitol and entering the Capitol was okay, that they were justified in their anger. And he shouldn't have been doing that. He should have been telling these people to go home and to leave and to condemn the violence that we were seeing. I think that in that moment, for him to tweet out the message about Mike Pence, it was him pouring gasoline on the fire and making it much worse. Maybe the most powerful statement we heard last night, Linda. Yeah, no, that was that was great. I mean, it reminded me of Cassidy Hutchinson, who's a friend yeah. of Sarah Matthews, uh, just telling what she saw and heard. And, you know, Donald Trump, this was this was real Donald Trump, just to cite his old Twitter handle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> his his real feelings about about Mike Pence really poured out on January 6th that he never uh, really was a huge supporter of the guy, right? I mean, he put him on the ticket with him and then thought about dumping him immediately. And I mean, Mike Pence is a Sunday school boy, especially compared to Donald Trump. And this was Donald Trump telling us what he really thought, which was Mike Pence did not back me at this critical moment and he's dead to me. John, don't. what, did, what does it say that I think the two outstanding by far outstanding witnesses of this series of hearings have been Sarah Matthews and Cassidy Hutchinson. 
right? Two loyal Trump staffers uh, right up until the end. Pretty powerful. It was, uh, you know, two two young uh, women who, you know, they got to work in the White House at, at very young ages. And by all accounts, um, they were true believers in, in Trumpism and America first and and um, every other slogan that that president put the president put behind his his policies and 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 behaviors. So, you know, that does say something maybe about that generation. Um, you know, I think Trumpism is here to stay, even if the former president, let's say he does not run maybe for a health reason or maybe a legal reason. Um, and he but he's still going to be a player. As he said the other day, 79 is or 78 is not old. Uh, so, you know, if he sticks around for 10 years, maybe by the time folks, the ages of, of Hutchinson and and Matthews, you know, they hit their 40s and they're ready to, to step up in the party. You know, maybe maybe that that's part of how we get Trumpism out of the system. Right. All right. My favorite moment of the hearing, I must admit, uh, was not a long video, but a little video uh, of Senator Josh Hawley, who famously <laughs> gave the big salute to the protesters when he was walking in a safe zone into the Capitol, showed a little more alacrity in getting out of the Capitol and running away from the protesters. That video re, um, got this response in the hearing room last night. <laughs> David, he was making tracks with his full suit on too, right? Yeah, suit I didn't know Josh could move that fast. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I have to say though, I, I just have to bring this up. I'm sorry. Um, now, Holly, he agree, he was the first senator to agree to challenge the election results, and that fist pump he gave to the crowd was for that. It was for the election protest. Yeah. It wasn't like he was encouraging people uh, to break I, into the Capitol. And I, I just thought, you know, it's supposedly it's a serious hearing, and this is a threat to democracy, and for them to take the time out to, to make fun of this guy, you know, however deserved, I just I just found it very, very strange. And it, the image of people laughing at Josh Hawley and people putting different soundtracks to the video on Twitter. I mean, I just would. Is this really the image you want for this hearing? Uh, at the same time, this is a guy who has been attacking the committee uh, ever since its beginning. Very uh, true. Isn't it a little fair for them to take an opportunity to kind of uh, say, up yours? <laughs> I guess so. Another funny thing about that is, you know where Josh Hawley was when that tape was being played? Last night? Yeah, he was giving an interview to Tucker Carlson on Fox. <laughs> what do you think, John? Was it fair? Oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if the committee needs to play fair because, you know, January 6th was Donald Trump playing dirty, so... You know, they want to be professional, but that doesn't mean uh, that they they have to fight the fight clean or they don't that they're not going to take a shot or two. They've taken a few of these shots in, in, in the eight hearings. So I was I was a little surprised to see it. Uh, but then again, you know, Hawley, um, he had a role here and especially in the election denying. And as David point, or someone pointed out, um, he was the first one um, to agree to to object. So. Mm-hmm. I, I was a little surprised. Um, I, however, wasn't surprised to see him running like he was through the Capitol. Uh, <laughs> all right. So the big question then, what impact may these ha- will these hearings have 
Linda, uh, the vice chair, Liz Cheney, who has really been, I think, the star of these hearings, has basically been running these hearings, um, she, she ended with a very powerful statement last night saying, you know, that given what we know, nobody should ever consider Donald Trump be given the opportunity to ever serve again, have any power, any authority ever, ever again. Uh, how far is that message going to carry with people <laughs> that should be listening to it? So, you- yeah, so Liz Cheney has been has become a pariah among the Trump, the pro-Trump crowd, which is considerable, right? Um, so I don't know. The, 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 these hearings have had an impact on Republican opinion about Trump. He's lost a few points off his approval rating among people who voted for him in the past. But I don't know that it has a huge impact uh, I mean, I, I'm going to disagree with my colleagues here on the question of fairness in this hearing. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a balanced presentation. This is not uh, anything like a courtroom trial where you have the opportunity uh, to to uh, cross examine the witnesses by mm-hmm. uh, by Cong- by members of Congress who are more sympathetic to the former president than the people who are up there. So I have found it actually quite frustrating. They have an incredible case to make. Donald Trump behaved incredibly irresponsibly on January 6th. And I want to hear what his supporters have to say about that. Well, and I may... want to hear them question question these witnesses. Yeah, uh, I, I have to interject. You might have had that opportunity were it not for Kevin McCarthy. Right, uh, but they could have. There could have been a kind of a negotiation uh, over that. So they. Uh, so, whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I have to. Uh, no, I have to disagree too. There was negotiation. There was a congressman, I believe it was John Katko from New York, a Republican, who was delegated by Kevin McCarthy to work out an agreement with the Democrats, and he did. Right. And Kevin McCarthy rejected it. No, true. But Donald so, Trump himself has said he wishes he had people in that hearing. Well, so t- maybe that, so 2020 hindsight, right? But I'm just saying no. uh, it would have been nice. No. It would have been nice to have the a little last, bit of pushback I, here. I, 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 okay. My pushback to you is the last thing we <laughs> needed was Jim Jordan on right. that committee here. No, I know. But maybe there's somebody who was a little less, uh, you know, bad than Jim Jordan who could have who could have been in there. Kevin anyway. McCarthy had that opportunity okay. to appoint someone else and he refused to do so. Okay. So, so, you know, you live but with I'm, I'm reacting as a member, sort of as a member of the public, uh, wishing there was just a little more anyway. Well, even without that. that, so even without that back and forth or, um, contradictory questioning or, or, or question on, on the part of maybe some Republican members, uh, John Bennett, do you think these hearings that what we've seen so far will have any lasting impact? I don't. I, I agree with Linda. I don't think we're going to see a huge impact. We definitely see there's something shifting in some of these polls of Republican voters. They, you know, the, the, the numbers have swung um, toward Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. You know, he leads in a couple places, including his home state, uh, the Sunshine State, also Trump's home state. Uh, and, and a few other places, I believe in Michigan, they're in a st- statistical tie. They're within the margin of error of, of the last poll there. So um, it's had some impact. We'll, the, the lasting part of your question is the thing. Let's say they wrap these hearings. Maybe I'm going to guess here 
early October because they do have to go campaign the committee members for right. re-election. Um, so, you know, let's say it, it, they wrap up, they issue their report sometime in the fall, and then, it, you know, then it's up to prosecutors. And by the time Trump is ready to announce, you know, maybe right after the midterms or, or you know, the holidays or early next year, maybe this is faded a bit from the from the minds. But the problem is for Trump, he's focused on this. He's obsessed with this. DeSantis, uh, other would be possible Republican candidates. You know, they're talking about the economy. They're talking about inflation. They're talking about the price of Diet Coke and, and gasoline. And he's talking about um, electors in Georgia. So, you know, I, he's he's he I think he's going to have to change his message and it can't just be all stolen election all the time. Which is why he may not wait as long as you say to announce. He's even talking about maybe announcing uh, in September. Uh, so, David Jackson, your take on uh, any long-lasting impact uh, is Merrick Garland watching, for example? Oh, Merrick Garland is definitely watching, and I would encourage people to look at what the Attorney General said earlier this week and some kind of news event. And he he went on and on about just saying we we can't publicly discuss what we're doing, but he stressed the fact that they were looking at all aspects of January 6th. And he also made the comment that no one is above the law. So to me, it's clear that his people are, are looking at Trump's role in this. But mm-hmm. I, in terms of the impact, I, you know, I'm a yes and no kind of a guy. I think it will have some long lasting impact on Trump's reputation. And I think a lot of independents and a lot of uh, more moderate Republicans are, it's a gateway for them to, to, to uh, eject Trump. Mm-hmm. because They're reminded of what, of how unstable he is and his behavior and uh, I think it's something they're going to want to walk away from. But whether there's going to be enough of people walking away from it to make a difference in a Republican primary, I, I really have my doubts. I also want to point out, you, you mentioned the fact that we're going to have more hearings in September. You know, initially said that initially the committee said they were going to issue their report in September. Well, now we're right. going to have more hearings. And they say it's because they're getting all this new evidence and they have to talk to people and all this kind of stuff. But I got to tell you, I think that's going to look real political, the fact that they're going to hold these hearings in mm-hmm. September and per- perhaps October. And I think to the degree to which these hearings are seen as as uber political, it's going to have less impact. All right. Well, believe it or not, there was other news this week. Uh, And we'll touch briefly on each of those topics here uh, after we take a quick break on the Bill Press pod. Today's roundtable with David Jackson, Linda Feldman, John Bennett. uh, And then we'll be right back. And today's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, L-I-U-N-A, under President Terry O'Sullivan. I saw President O'Sullivan the other day. He's doing good, still strong uh, as head of the Laborers Union. They are the backbone of the American labor movement, over half a million strong, uh, very active in the construction field, rebuilding our infrastructure in the energy sector of building everything from uh, solar panels to old-fashioned pipelines, and in the healthcare field as well. We salute the members of the Laborers Union, thank them for their good work rebuilding America, and thank them for their ongoing support of the Bill Press Pod. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. 
Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back uh, taking a look at the big news of this week, starting with the January 6th hearing last night. Uh, today's panel from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett uh, from the Christian Science Monitor, Linda Feldman, and USA Today, David Jackson. Uh, Linda, you cover the White House, uh, and now we have, uh, for the second time, a president of the United States with COVID. Uh, so what's the scene down there, and how are they handling it? So it's it's quite interesting, actually. So we all figured it was just a matter of time before he would uh, test positive. Yeah. Yep. Um, and they've been trying very hard to present this as business as usual. Joe Biden has COVID. He's got a mild case. He put out a video. I'm working, you know, working, working from home, as it were. Uh, and, you know, it, it's an opportunity for them to highlight the fact that he's uh, vac- vaccinated, double boosted, has a mild case. This is a big advertisement for getting vaccinated, assuming that this doesn't somehow turn into something terrible where he becomes gravely ill, which we're all mm-hmm. going to assume is the case. Uh, so this, this could, this could actually help Joe Biden. Of course, it also, if, if this does go badly, it highlights his age, which is always bad. But uh, Linda, uh, a big contrast to when Donald Trump was diagnosed with COVID, right? Absolutely. This was before vaccines. So Donald Trump got COVID, wasn't vaccinated, almost died, we later found out, Yeah. Uh, you know, hobbled to Marine One to fly to Walter Reed to have his life saved. Uh, I, you know, fingers crossed this doesn't happen with Joe Biden, but it's a completely different context now. With Joe Biden, this is routine. The pandemic is now endemic. Uh, the, the new, the new version of the virus is very transmissible. Uh, and this is, you know, the best case scenario for Biden is that he's fine, test, test negative in, in several days and it's back to, back to work as usual. So John Bennett, uh, action in the house this week on two fronts, uh, responding to the Supreme court's, uh, recent decision overturning Roe v. Wade, uh, the house passed a bill which would um, codify uh, marriage equality or same-sex marriage. 47 House Republicans voted for that. And then they followed up with a bill that would make uh, provide national access for contraception. And eight Republican House members voted for that. Um, what does this say about 
the Republican Party's response on the abortion issue, and what does it say about the Senate's uh, chances of getting either bill through the Senate? John Bennett. Yeah, I'll focus on the contraception bill. That's the, the issue that um, I was more focused on this week. I'll leave it to my colleagues on the same-sex marriage uh, legislation. Well, the Republicans say on the on the contraception uh, uh, bill, the, the reason that only eight supported it is uh, they, they believe it, it's too broad and that it could be used to justify um, abortions via medications. So, you know, they, they don't want any abortion. Um, you know, they can say they don't want a national ban, but um, I, I certainly have uh, my doubts what would happen if, if they got the numbers in both chambers and and we have either President Trump or President DeSantis uh, in January 2025. Uh, but we'll we'll cross that bridge later. It, it just says that, you know, they're the party is, is largely abortion purists and they're not going to tolerate anything that they think could have any elasticity and, and would allow um, women to to end pregnancies. Yeah. Interesting, because uh, I thought the, that the um, the word was that uh, contraception was a way of making sure that there were fewer abortions if people were practicing contraception. But uh, maybe I just uh, don't think clearly as a right wing conservative Republican, which is happens to be the case. Uh, so, David Jackson, big trial in Washington uh, to this this week. Uh, Steve Bannon, uh, before he appeared in the courtroom, pretty fiery about the charges leveled against him by the Justice Department for refusing to answer the subpoena issued by the January 6th committee. Here's a classic Steve Bannon moment in front of the courthouse. I'm telling you right now, this is going to be the misdemeanor from hell for Merrick Garland, Nancy Pelosi, and Joe Biden. Joe Biden ordered Merrick Garland to prosecute me. We're tired of playing defense. We're going to go in the offense on this and stand by. You should understand Nancy Pelosi took, is taking on Donald Trump and Steve Bannon. She ought to ask Hillary Clinton how that turned out from them, okay? Whoa, David. Yeah. Boy. Pretty tough talk. How'd it turn out in the courtroom? Well, he didn't testify. That's how it turned out. He also <laughs> wore three shirts and it was like more than 90 degrees outside. But, um, <laughs> you know. Typical Bannon, he talks, you know, he talks the big game and he was going to get up on the stand and, and proclaim his innocence and talk about how the deep state was after him. Well, he decided not to testify. So it's I've, I've seen this movie many, many times before about what was going to happen and what didn't happen. I, I guess the question now is whether the judge is, is whether the jury convicts him. Um, I think there's a good chance that will happen. And then the judge has to decide whether to put him in the hooskow. And at that point, um, you know, Bannon will have to make a decision about whether he wants to be a martyr in prison or whether he'll he'll actually answer the subpoena. You know, it's possible because he could answer the subpoena. And at some point, I think the January 6th committee is going to encounter a hostile witness. So someone's going to be willing to go to the committee and, and tell them off, if you will. It's possible that could be Steve Bannon. But as we've seen, he, he, he tends to talk more than he tends to act. Right. We may know before uh, all of our listeners hear this podcast, actually, uh, the result of that. The jury gets closing arguments today, Friday. They'll probably start to deliberate Friday, and it may not take them much time uh, to reach a decision. Uh, I was impressed by the J Justice Department just made a, they avoided all the politics. They just made a very simple case. Did he answer the subpoena? Yes or no? Answer, no. Therefore, boom. That was their case. Uh, 
basically. Uh, Linda, I want to circle back with you. Your comments, what are your colleagues on the Hill telling you about uh, chances of the same-sex marriage picking up enough Republican votes in the Senate to um, to overcome the filibuster? Yeah, no, that's that's the game right now, is watching who in the Senate is, is willing to go along. I mean, I was kind of surprised by Ron Johnson, a uh, senator from Wisconsin, who said he'd vote for the bill to codify same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. So they're inching closer to the 60 votes they need to to break the filibuster. Um, yeah, he, I think they're around five or six. That's now. right. I, last I saw, we were up to five who mm-hmm. are expected to vote to advance the bill. Um, so they need five more. But this is this issue... I mean, in theory, this should be easy. Uh, Same-sex marriage has become much more acceptable to Americans than it was when the Supreme Court passed that uh, made that ruling. Uh, I think it was 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it gets complicated uh, when you're looking at individual Senate races. And of course, Ron Johnson is in a uh, toss-up state, battleground state in Wisconsin. So he's just saying, all right, I give up, vote for me. Uh, and David Jackson, you and I remember 2004, George W. Bush running for re-election. This was the number one issue Republicans used, anti-same-sex marriage. Yeah, for, and Karl Rove was running around encouraging Republicans in different states to put up referendums against right. gay marriage. Which, because which they, they did. Good, which they which did. They did. And it was a good get out the vote message. Yes, it's, it's quite the transform. And of course, you know, to be sure, Barack Obama also opposed gay marriage pretty late in the game. So- it's it's been a sea change, no doubt about it. I can't help but point out that you know these moves, both the gay marriage move and the contraception move, this is in response to the the, the Clarence Thomas concurrence in the abortion case, where he said right. we should revisit these decisions. But I also have to point out that I don't know of any Republicans who were seriously proposing uh, mm-hmm. laws to bar uh, contraception or or no. moves to re- reject the, the gay marriage ruling that the Supreme Court issued several years back. So I think there's a, more than a tad of politics from the Democrats involved in this. I think it's base building and scaremongering regarding the Republicans. But as you mentioned, in the case of the gay marriage bill, it looks like the Republicans are going to go along and codify it. Yeah, uh, but you're absolutely right. Probably this would not have occurred uh, if Clarence Thomas had not issued that uh, um that threat <laughs> that that challenge right right but the fact is he did and the fact <laughs> yeah. is that he's got at least five other votes right now uh it was, and, but it was just him though his conservative colleagues didn't right. join yeah. the concurrence i'm not sure they're eager to revisit these issues just as i'm sure many congressional republicans and republicans throughout the country they're not eager to get back into contraception and gay marriage i, I think they just want to move past it all right. So what a week it has been. Uh, thank you. Thank you to uh, David Jackson and to Linda Feldman, John Bennett, for your insights uh, and your take on uh, uh, where this leaves us as Americans at the end of the week. Uh, but we can't let you go. Even as busy as we were this week and as much going on, there must have been one story above any others that caught your attention, whether in the field of sports or politics or or whatever. <laughs> uh uh, we call it our favorite story of the week. Linda, what what stopped you in your tracks? Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you called on me first. I just love the story out of Indiana about the pizza delivery guy who saw a house on fire oh, and yeah. stopped and ran in and saved five people. Yeah. And and he had saved four people. And then they said, but the baby is still in there. The baby is oh. a six-year-old. 
he ran back in, got the six-year-old, and and couldn't find a way out down the stairs. So he jumped out of a second-story window mm. and landed on the ground, shielding the child as he landed. And he was quite injured. And now there's a there's a GoFundMe uh, that aimed to raise a hundred thousand dollars. And last time I checked, it's at over five hundred thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah, that was an incredibly heartwarming yeah, story, it. huh? We need a little story like that every once in a while to lift to lift us up, right? Uh, how about you, David Jackson? Oh, well, I, I guess I can I can follow up on that theme in terms of that there are good people out there and there are good things to to think about. Um, I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but after the Uvalde shooting, the governor of Texas announced that uh, that an anonymous donor had agreed to put up like one hundred seventy thousand dollars to help pay the funeral expenses for the children yes, of Uvalde. Yes. Well, we learned just yesterday that that anonymous donor was none other than Bo Jackson, the former football star who's now a very prominent Auburn uh, citizen in Alabama. He's a member of the Auburn board. Really? Yes, it was Bo. And um, so, huh. so that guy got out, and people called Bo, and he said. It was an interesting story. He said he has a friend of, friend of his who has a one of these lodges in South Texas where you go hunting. Yeah. And Bo said that whenever he'd go down there, he would often stop in Uvalde to eat. You know, he'd just stop off for lunch or breakfast in Uvalde. Huh. He really liked the place. And when he heard about what happened, he just wanted to help. So he found out about the, that people were having some trouble paying the funeral. So he wrote a big check. Good for him. I didn't yeah. realize that it was Bo yeah. Jackson that did that. Yeah. That's great. Uh, well, that gets us into the sports realm. John Bennett's favorite story is usually sports related. <laughs> well, I could keep, I, I could keep my sport streak alive on this show and talk about the um, what looks like a long divorce between Juan Soto and the Washington Nationals. Oh boy, yeah. But in, instead, uh, Axios has a story out this morning by Jonathan Swan uh, detailing how in Trump yeah. world and with the blessing of the former president. Some of his uh, former aides, I guess they're still his aides, or they're still advising him. They are planning, um, as as Swan writes here, to quote radically reshape the federal government if he is reelected, purging potentially thousands of civil servants and yeah, filling yeah. career posts with loyalists uh, to him and his America First ideology. So um, this is the drain the swamp part two. Uh, part of the danger of, of, of Trump and, and the far right taking over the federal government, they didn't know, um, David and Linda, I, we were there at the White House, they didn't know what the heck to do with it when they, you know, they, they were the dog that caught the car, didn't know what to do with it. Well, they learned how it worked. They learned how it often stifled the president and what he really wanted to do. And now they're hell bent if he, if he does run and win and wins again to get all the stiflers out of the government and put loyalists in that will enact whatever he might come up with. Uh, That's the Steve Bannon deconstructing the administrative right. state exactly. plan come back to life. Yeah. Uh, remember those old uh, warnings about not measuring the drapes in the Oval Office before <laughs> yeah. uh, too early? Right. Uh, that was my thought. When I, they were talking, they're already talking about, they're making plans for what they they will do in 2025. Well, that- <laughs> That, this is a big change from the president-elect Trump who did not want to – he yeah. or, or the candidate Trump who didn't want to do any transition planning before the 2016 election because he thought it might jinx himself. So they've learned yeah. a thing or two. Yeah. Well, some people are planning. I don't, I don't think Trump's plans extend far beyond the golf tournament he's hosting next weekend. So. <laughs> right. or, his, or his seven iron. Right. Or his presidential announcement in, in 24. Well, I mean, in, in September. Uh, well, I, I'm a little embarrassed by this, but I must admit my favorite 
uh, story of the week was reading the coverage of the funeral of Ivana Trump. Now, I'm not saying I was glad she died, but there was such insights into that family, the way it was handled, starting with Donald Trump announcing her death, of, of the death of his former wife, on his own website, uh, I mean, media, th- uh, Twitter equivalent, Truth Social, which he put out the announcement, which included a pitch to give money for his super PAC. Um, so he was raising money on news of Ivana's death, followed up by a word of the funeral, the speeches, the eulogies given by Donald Jr. and Eric both had to deal with the physical beatings that they got from Ivana from using a wooden spoon or a or a stick or other kind of stuff. And Ivanka talked about the disagreements she had with her mother, with her mother said, uh, gave her hell for leaving a party too early. Ivanka left at 2 a.m. and Ivana stayed until 4 a.m. And also giving Ivanka hell because her miniskirt was not short enough. She thought Ivanka should be wearing shorter miniskirts. Uh, interesting eulogies. And then finally, the, we, we learned that for her, that Ivana was buried at the Bedminster Golf Course, which of course is not a Catholic cemetery. So they actually got permission from the bishop and had a priest consecrate some ground on the golf course so she could be buried at Bedminster rather than in a regular Catholic cemetery. I don't know. It's just to me from beginning to end, such a dysfunctional family, <laughs> insights into such a dysfunctional family that somehow ended up in the White House. So, <laughs> Bedminster, that's the golf that's the golf course Trump's hosting his tournament at next week. Yes, yes. I didn't realize yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. That's where she's buried. So I don't know whether she's on the fifth tee or the uh, <laughs> 18th green, but somewhere she's going to be hovering over that golf course. All right. And with that, a great big thank you again to John Bennett, editor-at-large at CQ Roll Call, Linda Feldman, Washington Bureau Chief and White House Correspondent for the Christian Science Monitor. And again, thank you to David Jackson, National Political Correspondent to USA Today. And thanks to all of you for joining us for today's roundtable. Uh, now, weekend coming up, Joe Biden proves to us if we needed any proof that COVID is still out there. So please still be careful, wear the mask when you can, social distance still when you can. And meanwhile, try to find some place to stay cool with these record-breaking temperatures that are going to hit, that are already hitting all across the nation uh, right now. So stay cool, be careful with COVID, and then come back and see us next Tuesday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Have a great weekend.